WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 6th. We're in the final month of the year 2023. My name is Ethan Frank, joined as always by Jordan Leonard. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, it was a a little bit of a long night. I'm a little tired. I was engineering the double overtime until the wee hours of the morning. Um, But, you know, it was a great show. We had a lot of fun breaking down the Cornell game. So it's it's been a great couple days this week. Always a busy time here in Syracuse. Lots of athletics news. And, and of course, we're joined by Hudson Ridley. Hudson, how are you? I feel lively, Ethan, for a cold Wednesday morning. I don't know what's gotten into me. Maybe it's Fran Brown. Maybe it's a basketball win last night. But I feel lively. Yeah, you know, I remember telling Jordan, you know, when we, we Wednesday morning has become our, our designated recording spot here in the fall. And, you know, throughout the fall, I would look out my window as we were recording and see the beautiful foliage, and now it's snow on the trees and on the ground. So, you know, it's the seasons are changing here in Syracuse. Looks like we got a couple inches of snow overnight. And as always, we're brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We very much thank them for their support. So, we got a lot to talk about on the show. Fran Brown introduced on Monday as head coach of Syracuse football. But Adrian Autry's squad and Syracuse basketball, big win in the Dome last night, 81-70. to 70. Over Cornell, I was on the call for WAER Sports. So, you know, was, Hudson and I were right up there watching the matchup. He was there as well for for the talk department. It was uh, it, it was an interesting game. Cornell came in and they were not going to let Syracuse change the way they played. They wanted to get up and down the court, run and gun, press, play different types of defenses, shoot a lot of threes. And at times it worked well, and at times it didn't. Yeah, I mean, just watching the game, Syracuse ended up pulling away in the second half, but it was one of those games like not not this year against Colgate, but that like the, you know that first year where they kept pestering them and they were still there. And Syracuse should have you know taken a lead, taken a, a big advantage, I think, earlier in the game. But it's one of those games that I think that it's it's not how you win; it's just the fact that you won. Cor- uh, Col- Cornell is going to be a decent Ivy League team. They got a great player, Cooper Nord. He's my guy. Scored fifteen points, um, but. You, just winning the game is what's most important. If you if you look at the box score, this is what it's going to be in terms of you know scoring output of who's going to be top three the entire season. Judah Mintz is going to lead the pack. Chris Bell should be second. Justin Taylor, if he can score 15, that is a great scoring combination for Syracuse. If all three of those guys can be double digits, if J.J. Starling can have, you know, t- tacking eight points with three assists, this is a perfect kind of recipe in terms of scoring for Syracuse moving forward. The rest of non-conference play where you don't really have a break except for Niagara and then going into conference play at the start of the new year. It felt incredibly balanced, like you said, Jordan. But also, it, there was kind of a clear disparity, too. It felt like, obviously, between talent level and Syracuse and Cornell, where in a game last year, this could obviously be a Cornell win if Syracuse isn't fully galvanized. I think a coaching change might have helped this year. I honestly, I don't think with Jim Beheim, Syracuse necessarily would have won that game. But at the same time, I think Cornell is, I, 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 I just know. don't agree with that at all. I, I don't <laughs> know. That's, that's fair to not agree with that. It's just kind of like. What coaching Cornell, is changing? Cornell what coaching, so... what coaching by Adrian Autry is changing the outcome of this game? It wasn't necessarily a switch. I just think that Bayheim 
early on, if the offense was sputtering and if he, he could have left guys in there, like Judah, obviously he got off to a, a fairly hot start, but when he cooled down, he, he really cooled down. He had 28, but, yeah, but you're not taking Judah out completely out of control. Quadir, there were times where he looked completely out of control. Same with Chris Bell. Those guys still, though, quad, especially Chris Bell, Chris Bell got left in a lot longer than he would have last year, and he still made a very positive contribution. Maybe they wouldn't lose this game. That was a bit of that would have that was a bit of too far, maybe a little too far. But I definitely think it's it's a different look on this game than it was last night. Cornell, though, by the same hand, just really didn't feel like they were always there, but they didn't have the talent to get over the hump last night, and that was just that was the difference. Yeah, it, it was it was a fun game to watch. It was a game that went up and down the court. I mean, for Syracuse, Adrian Autry talked about after the game, going 13 of 32 from three, shooting over 40% from beyond the arc really was the difference because Cornell shot nine of 33, which was under 30%. So, so that makes a huge difference. The Big Red also nine of 17 at the free throw line. Uh, we know free throws matter. And when you miss eight free throws, uh, that's going to come back to cost you. I mean, Jordan, you talked about them pulling away in the second half. I mean, this was a three-point game with three minutes left. Cornell never went away. Uh, It it was within two possessions for a while, and then after that monster Isaiah Gray dunk, they come back and make it a three-point game. And with about a minute, it's there for for a couple of minutes. And then with about a minute left, you know, J.J. Starling wasn't having a great offensive night. Once again, he shoots just 4 of 12, 0 of 3 from beyond the arc, where he's shooting under 15% on the year now. And he makes a huge pull-up jumper at the foul line to give Syracuse a little bit of breathing room. And that really was the difference in the game. Yeah, I think I meant that as like a, you know, it never felt like they were going to lose this game. Uh, no, if you look at it, you're right. If you look at it, um, I think part of the reason in the second half why Cornell stuck to get stuck in there, and one would argue they shouldn't have no matter what, is that Judah Mintz was in foul trouble. I don't think he played from like the 12 minute mark to like the four he minute sat, mark. He sat for almost like 10 minutes. Yeah. He sat yeah. for a while, which against Cornell, I actually did like the decision from Coach Autry because you're going to need to score and play well and play good basketball with Judamins off the floor in ACC play at some point. So having your guys learn that and try to, you know, figure out what works with Judah off the floor was a good experiment and is going to be needed. And Chris Bell is going to be that, you know, that score when Judamins is off the floor. But J.J. Starling needs to stop taking threes. I, they, he needs to stop taking threes. He can't make a three. Quadier should never take a three. I know he only took one. But Quadier should never take a three from beyond the arc. Kyle Cufflin 0 for 3. He can he can still hit one or two. But like we need to they need to be selective from the three-point line. That's not going to be their bread and butter. You're not going to have Judah Mintz making five threes a game. Chris Bell can make five threes a game, but Judah Mintz is not. They really need to be, I think, more selective on offense. They have enough talent to get to the basket. We saw Justin Taylor get to the basket effectively yesterday a couple times. He needs to do that more. J.J. Starling can get to the basket. Judah gets to the basket. If Chris Bell can get to the basket, I mean, that just adds, you know, part to his game. He's a, he, you just need to have that aggressive mindset. This team is not built to make 13 threes a game. They're not built to shoot 40 plus percent from three unless they take like, you know, five of them and make four. So they need to be, you know, selective in their three pointers and just be more aggressive getting to the hoop. I, I really liked yesterday, Jordan, to your point, though, of getting to the basket. Chris Bell and Justin Taylor. Did a lot more of that yesterday than we've seen a lot through this season. It wasn't necessarily very physical, but obviously there was a lot more motion on the offense, which kind of translated to that. And it really just felt like a different overall game than when Judah, obviously when Judah Mintz is out, where you don't have a guy who's going to be that consistent facilitator. And it kind of felt like everybody else on the floor when Judah was out was waiting for somebody else to do something. So the shot clock gets low and somebody has to take it. But throughout the game, when Justin Taylor and Chris Bell would step up, I'd say those are good signs looking forward. If you have to go for certain stretches without Judah, it was a promising sign because obviously you can't take too much big picture out of the game. It was a promising sign, though, to take those two performances and the specific things they did from that. 
I just vehemently disagree with this idea that you, you just shouldn't have players shoot if they're not great shooters. You know what? Whittier is Ju- not a good shooter. Okay, Judah Mintz is not a good shooter, but he happens. He's to make a better five- shooter than he, he was last you know, year, though. He's okay. developing. Judah Mintz. Judah Mintz I, is a hundred percent better from three than Quadier Copeland. I'm not. I'm not saying he's not better, but I'm saying if there's no threat of you taking a three, then your spacing on the floor becomes such a huge issue. If you're going to play all three of those guys at the same time, it is going to get so congested that the spacing on offense there will be no driving lanes for Starling, Copeland, and Mintz to do what they do best, which is get to the basket and either finish or find teammates. If there is no even sort of threat and they're too scared to take the shots, then your spacing is completely eradicated and it makes your offense so much tougher to score. Yeah, but they're already not honoring the three-point. And they just, I mean, what was the last time JJ made, I mean, I guess so, what, he made a three against Virginia? They have he's, to keep shooting. He's There's three no, they have to keep 24. Shooting. I don't care. I don't care if you ask any of the Syracuse coaches, I guarantee you they'll say, I yeah, want them to okay, keep shooting. Keep shooting because eventually you'll make one, you know, every 20 tries. But like, you can't keep wasting offensive possessions on, on that. Like, if you're you open, need... shoot it. Yeah, sure. If you're, if playing you're against... wide open, but like, it, it has to be selective. It's not like and the one Brown three that Quadri Copeland pointers. took. The one three Quadri Copeland took, he was wide open on the right wing. It's not like Malik that. Brown is taking three pointers just because he's open. Hey, I think he should. It'd be a huge threat if he started taking three oh, pointers, okay. and then you then okay. you have a then you have a, a space, you know, a floor spacing five. If there's a threat of even even if he doesn't make it, just the threat of him taking it. There is, is no threat unless he. But makes if he it. doesn't, yeah, it, no, that's not true. Them, that's not then there's true. No real that's threat. not true because if they see he's going to shoot it, that means even if he misses it, the defense will close out harder, so, and then the lane is wide open. So Jesse Edwards' one three-pointer last year really made them close out on the three-point line? Shot, that was on a – as the shot clock was expiring. That was completely different. I, I that just, was a desperation heave. I just think that no defense – if you look at the scouting report on how they're going to play Malik Brown, no matter if he takes the three or not, they want him to take that three. So are you Quittier, telling me – Quittier Copeland, they want to take that three. Quittier Copeland is essentially like Ben Simmons. They're not going to guard him from three. Wow. So, are, are you say, so are you saying that – in football, it, do you have to? So your argument basically is that in football, to be successful at the play action pass, you have to be able to run the football, because that is not true. Are you? Are you is that your argument? What's your comparison? That it, on a play action, you to to have successful play action in football, you have to run the ball successfully. That's not I true at all. Yeah, that's yeah. not true. It's the same thing. It's the no, same it is thing. not. That yes, is not is. true. That is not that's true at all. Thing. Because in the play action pass, just like Dino Babers said, though, you know, the late Dino Babers that's no longer at Syracuse. It's all about She's the not fake. Dead. I know that's no longer at Syracuse. It's all about the fake. It's not about the running the ball. It's exactly. all about the fake. Exactly. And if you shoot it and then you start pump faking, even if you don't no, make it, you saw no, how effective Judas no. pump fake was. Yes. Yes. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> okay. No. Yeah. But if you like. If you change the personnel completely in that play action pass, it's not like they have offensive linemen at quarterback and running back and they're like, okay, well, we Thank know you. something weird is going on here. If you have if you have Malik Brown at the top of the key and you're like, oh, something's something's wrong here. He's not gonna shoot that. I think defenses are going to let him have that because that's not a high percentage look to begin with, no matter if you defend that or not. All that's it takes is all it takes look. is one make. To change one make doesn't matter how it comes. All it takes mm-hmm. is one make to change the narrative. And no, it I doesn't. Am confident. Yes, Shaq, it does. Shaq had one make in the end. Not NBA, with JJ. JJ's three of twenty-four. All it takes is three of twenty-four. It takes a little bit more than one make to change. All it takes is one make. All it takes is one make to change the narrative. I, 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 I will stand by this. I, I. So what you guys want? Are you them talking just about Quadir or just you JJ? Guys want, and you guys want them. them just to play with no spacing? Uh, no, I'm not saying not no, play with no spacing. spacing. I just don't want Malik behind the three-point line. One would argue that you can't put Quadir, JJ, and you know, say Judah on the floor at the same time. Yeah, I don't. I, A wise I, man I, once said that, Ethan. That would. That would I, be I wonder me. who that came. From. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So your point about not how you have no spacing that. when that yeah. lineups on the floor exactly. is mute. And okay. And I'm saying they can create spacing by shooting threes. That's if it, they're going to play that lineup. Shooting, you got to make them. Otherwise, you're just wasting possessions. If you have four, technically, 
Because if Judas, he's going to be the primary ball handler, so he's not really even a shooter at that point. So you're if a lineup is the three of them plus a big, and then one of Bell or or Taylor, then you have four essentially non-standstill shooters on the floor. And this that is team not is not get built with standstill shooters. And I think they're going to improve and start shooting the ball better. And that comes from Copeland and Brown. And I the think only, it's going to happen. The, okay, the only but if JJ Starling, if ahead, how long does it take? of J.J. Sterling continuing to shoot threes before you have to put the – not the complete, like, kibosh on it, but really have him tone it down even more. Because if he cannot hit threes, then you can't have wasted possessions each time if he's just not hitting them. He went 0 for 3 last night. I'd say that's fine. I, I don't have That's a problem with him taking yeah. three threes. I don't have a problem with him taking okay. three threes. Okay, I, 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 I validate that. As long as he's not taking, I think it's like one or two. If you don't hit the first two, stop taking them. It, it's like. That's just not a shooter's but, mentality, though. He's not, like, not a shooter. He's not a shooter. But he's, all he's these, but they, it's, it's, uh, okay, but like, but to all of the all of the players, they all think they're shooters. Oh, so, they can all think they're shooters, but they're not. I can think I'm a shooter, but I'm not. So I don't yeah. take three pointers consistently. I'll take the one brain or two. of a basketball wait, 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 player. Wait, the I'll brain take, of a basketball player just doesn't work. Oh, I'm going to stop I'll, shooting. I'll take I'll take one or two, and if they don't go in, you don't keep shooting them throughout the game. And they, like, if you look at the roster makeup, this team is not built around standstill shooters. This team is built around guys that can drive to the basket or shoot in the mid range. I know you don't like the mid range. Shoot in the mid range or have you know, you know get floaters. Judah Mintz and JJ Starling have great floaters when they get into the lane. They are not standstill shooters. Judah can develop into one because he's Judah Mintz and he looked very well. He looked very good last. Um, you know, yesterday and has developed his three point shot, but this team is not built around standstill shooters. And the only two are Chris Bell and Justin Taylor. You cannot rely on shooting threes when your team is not built that way. No, I, I, I agree. And honestly, at this point, Starling's role obviously is not to shoot threes and having them shoot one or two a game, I think is completely fine. I don't know if you wait out this kind of cold stretch or if this is just a consistent thing. We obviously are too early in the season to really know at this point whether or not this will be a consistent thing going down the line. But as of right now, you know, he, he just – not just him, but, I mean, that three from Kyle Cuff last night. I don't want Kyle Cuff to stop shooting. I think Kyle Cuff shooting is fine, and if he gets good looks – I feel comfortable with him shooting. I just would want him to tone it down. Keep in mind, JJ, last year at Notre Dame, shot 29% from three. So he's shooting, what, 12.5% right now? I just, if you if they don't keep shooting, they're going to lose even more confidence, and that will be even more detrimental to Syracuse's offense. That's, I, I'm, I'm cutting it off. That's, I'm not, we're not getting back into it. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on to football. Syracuse, you know, uh, re Syracuse 81 Cornell 70. Okay. We're done with basketball. <laughs> let's move on to football. Um, Fran Brown introduced on Monday officially. Uh, we talked with Chris Carlson from Syracuse.com and a little bit who was there for some more insights on, on Fran Brown. Jordan, you were also there. What was it like? It was packed. I showed up 15 minutes before and the auditorium was full and I was not, not necessarily expecting that. Um, but it was a packed room. I, I, I'm pretty easy to get bought in in a team that either I, I cover them, but I also somewhat root for them. So I'm pretty I'm a pretty easy um, buy in guy. But I will say that Fran Brown, you know, said all the right things and, and had the right message. It was different than Dino Babers. He was I'm going to recruit. I want everyone to be a part of this program. If you're not going to be here and, and rooting for this program, all the time, then I don't want to hear it from you. So like, I, I do like that, that kind of sense where I want the fans to buy in as much as I am and as much as the players are. And I mean, we've seen over the last couple of days, I mean, his, his recruiting and it's because he can connect to people. Like even like the reporters, like cracking, like, you know, a couple jokes just to the room, like he can connect to everybody and that's going to really help Syracuse, you know, as a team, as a whole, in terms of a culture, but also in the recruiting sense. I, I'm 
less of a buy-in guy, I think, Jordan, than you. I'm, I have a lot more skepticism. I don't know how many coaches that I've ever seen introduced to a team that have grasped me like this. I mean, Fran Brown, out of nowhere, has really kind of solidified his place already without taking a snap of football, it feels. Everybody seems to love Fran Brown at this point. And again, no recruit has come in yet of his big recruiting. He's done a, a big recruiting trail. It's looking good. No recruit has come in officially. No snap of football has been played. And I'm completely bought in just because, like you said, the interactions that he has with people. There was a picture of him um, eating dinner the other night, and he was canvassing to get money for NIL and donors. At Vito's. Yeah, at Vito's. At Vito's. And he's just trying to become part of the Syracuse community already and really get entwined with it. And it's a really good look for him. I, I, I'm kind of falling into the camp. I, I get being excited. I'm kind of falling into the camp of I need to see him like coach football and like manage a game. And I don't know if it's calling plays, but develop game plans because all this off field stuff is, is great. And I, it's a huge improvement from, from where things were for Syracuse, but I'm kind of feel myself falling into, I need to see it. I spent a lot of time last night. Um, shout out to a, to, to a good friend of mine, uh, PJ Clark, for informing me about Dino Babers' in, introductory press conference and how different that was to Fran Brown and how D, different Dino Babers' speech at the Dome on the first basketball game after he was introduced as head coach was compared to Fran Brown. Uh, you know, Dino, you know, Jordan, I know he's your, he's your guy, he was doing his classic things, preaching about faith, belief without evidence. And, uh, and you know, we talked about that with Chris. It, it, that's kind of what it ended up being. But really, all of these press conferences are, I need you to believe with me. With And with Fran Brown, especially in terms of on-field coaching, it's, you need to believe in me even though you've never seen me do it before. So I am a little skeptical in that sense until I see it. And as we talked about with Chris, the coaches he's bringing with him, not a lot of either coordinator or play-calling experience or, or haven't done it in a while. So I am a little bit concerned in that aspect, but everything else, recruiting, NIL, uh, vibe around the program, I would say I, I'm I'm in on. Yeah, I feel like that has to be part of it. I mean, we're not going to be able to see him on the field until next year, so we can't judge that just yet. He did mention in the press conference, and this is something that you don't necessarily get with you know hiring a group of five head coaches that. He's literally the last two years, as he's, you know, as he said, taking him at his word, was sitting next to Kirby Smart every time in the film room or like throughout the weeks and just taking notes. He he says he has a just a notes section of Kirby Smart notes. And other than Nick Saban, probably the best coach to take notes from in the country as a head coach, the way he manages games, recruits players, creates a culture down at Georgia. So in terms of not being able to see him as a head coach or, you know, creating game plans, I think he did some of that, you know, as a defensive backs coach in terms of creating a defensive game plan, but we're going to have to wait to see that on the field. But in terms of where he came from and who he's learned from, I mean, that at least gives me some faith that it won't be, you know, maybe he'll have some bumps in the road, but the, the foundation is there. That culture of Georgia, like you said, Jordan, is, I mean, they can really get their players behind them. I don't know if you saw a clip after a national championship last year. An offensive lineman for Georgia was saying, oh, you guys thought we were going to fall off. We were going to be seven and five, six and six. No one was saying that at all. But the coaches who, who sow that, that kind poison. of outside down into their players to motivate them even more. I feel like Fran Brown can do that a little bit because no one's looking at Syracuse. You need a motivator sometimes, and I understand that's a little bit of what Dino Babers was. But you need a little bit of a motivator, a motivator sometimes. And if other coaches on this coaching staff can really handle the X's and O's, which, Ethan, as you said, no one has really proven that yet. But if they can handle the X's and O's, it feels like Fran Brown is just more of the motivator. He's more of the motivator, the recruiter, the figurehead. And a lot of others will take care of the X's and O's, even if he is taking notes from Kirby Smart. I think he's more here to just be the figurehead and figuring out the coaching staff in terms of play calling, will be an incredibly important step. 
He right. He's he's a, he's a relationship guy. That's that's very clear. He wants to touch all parts of the roster, all players, all coaches, and and be involved in a little bit of everything. You know, kind of like a, a Swiss Army knife in terms of how much he's going to do. And that's why he said he didn't want to be a coordinator because he wants to touch every part of the roster. We talked a whole lot more about Fran Brown, his inter- introductory press conference, and everything going on with Syracuse football with Chris Carlson of Syracuse.com. Hope you enjoy. We're now joined by Chris Carlson of Syracuse.com, who does a great job covering the Syracuse football team. Chris, how are you? Doing great. Uh, busy, busy, busy time. Exciting time, I think, for Syracuse fans. Certainly interesting. Uh, there, There is no doubt that it's interesting. It's interesting, intriguing. A, a lot of different adjectives you could use to describe what's gone on over the past couple of weeks. Fran Brown introduced as the 31st head coach in program history on Monday. You were there. What, what was it like just being in the room and, and what was the scene? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always, I mean, as, as a journalist, I dislike very much how it goes because it's like a press conference pep rally. It's like, okay, we're going to ask all these tough questions in front of the coach's family and uh, every coach that works at Syracuse and all of the school officials who are in the back applauding and giving him an ovation. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a very awkward mix of stuff that's supposed to happen. Um, but I, I mean, Fran has, right, I think... If, if you've talked to anybody about him, um, they've probably mentioned his ability to connect with the people um, and the way he sort of spoke and sort of owned the room, you know, spoke to somebody who's very comfortable speaking, um, you know, ha- has sort of that gift for gab and coming across as authentic while also, you know, doing it, not not phony, um, you know, and, and you can see the skills that have made him one of the top recruiters in the country. Um, and, you know, I think we all know it. And, and he, even he acknowledged it at the press conference. He, he doesn't love it, but like he's known as a recruiter. He's going to come here and recruit. You talk about the recruiting and it was really present, like how he can connect people in the room, especially in front of a big audience. And, you know, first weekend with Fran Brown officially as the head coach, there's at least four to five, four stars visiting on campus. What is the and and during the throughout the press conference, I was there too. John Wildhack and Fran Brown talked about how the players make a program more than the coaches do. Well, how how much will Fran Brown impact the recruiting right away, comparative to maybe two to three years down the line? Yeah, so I mean, I think that is sort of the question because um, not only is he a great recruiter, um, Elijah Robinson, who's one of the first people that, that he's hired, uh, also has a reputation as a, as a great recruiter. Um, so they are like going after recruiting. Now, recruiting also in the NIL era is different, right? Like, like it, and we don't know the answer, I don't think yet, as to like how much of that success will he duplicate at Syracuse? Like, I certainly think he'll elevate Syracuse's recruiting, but so much of that thought process now, I think, from what you hear, is like, how much is a kid going to make? And like Fran now donors have been excited they've been captivated by his vision they have stepped forward but he still can't like fix that part of Syracuse where they've been behind a little bit so is he going to be getting five stars like he was at Georgia like I don't I don't know uh is he going to get a bunch of four stars um because all of those guys I presume are going to expect to make like decent paydays like I don't know if Syracuse has that in the bank um, I certainly know those kids are interested in hearing what Syracuse has, you know, based on the fact that, that they're here. Um, but when they're here, are they going to like the offer that they get? And are they going to like the details that they get? Because that matters now. Um, it's not just, do I like the coach? Do I like his personality? Do I connect with him? Because most coaches, right? Most coaches connect can connect. Most coaches are going to be able to convince a recruit that they're a good guy and, and they like them. And maybe Fran's a little bit better at that than everybody else. But like, how much money are you going you to pass up to be with the guy that you like maybe a sliver more than you like everybody else? I, I think it's a really fascinating question. Um, and I, I, like, I think this week is the start of this weekend's the start of finding out. Like if they get like a handful of four stars, like, all right, like, like, like this thing is going to like really work. Um, 
you know, if, if they get a couple, it's sort of like, all right, good start. Like, let's wait and see if if he can really get this thing humming. I always find it interesting with new head coaches, especially in high school recruiting, when they take over, you know, two weeks or so before National Signing Day, how much they can either how much they can improve the the class that is going to come in. I found it funny. Fran, one of Fran Brown's comments is I, I didn't recruit just on my looks at, at Georgia. That was a funny comment. And I think one of the big takeaways that is, like Brent Axe at Syracuse.com I was also talking about and did a column on is that how he kind of reignited that Syracuse football alumni base um, back to the program. How important do you think that is going to be in terms of recruiting? Is that going to be a big difference that he can use as a tool to recruit players that the alumni are going to be there giving advice and investing in the program? You know, I, I, I hate to come across as like very materialistic. Um, it, it's great to have alumni around. Um, you know, it, it's helpful. Um, it creates a bigger feeling of a family atmosphere. Um, you know, I think Fran's point that it helps Syracuse players to see guys that, that have done it previously and gone from Syracuse to the pros, having those guys around is helpful. Um, but I, it's also like they don't live in central New York most of them right like so i don't know how often they're going to be here so to me it's nice that he says that their presence is, is important and it is but like part of that i think is like that their presence leads to money <laughs> and, and that money leads to like recruiting right right it, it, it leads to hey you guys have a home i want you to feel connected to syracuse i want you to be around I want you to feel like this is your program. And I hope at some point you're going to contribute back to your program and like help me, you know, get guys. Um, you know, that's what I think it is. Um, and I, I, you know, the polite thing is to not admit that it's all that. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but, but I think that's like probably the biggest impact that alumni can have. Cause it is just like, it's just an arms race. Right. That That's what recruiting is sort of turned into right now. The interesting thing to me that came out of the press conference and really everything he said, he the interview did with Matt Park on Sunday and then the press conference was how much he talked about George DeLeon uh, and his connection to Coach Pasqualoni and that era. I get, you know, I, I spent some time last night going back into the archives and, and listening to Dino Baber's opening press conference and, and then his speech at the at the dome compared to what Fran Brown did at, at the basketball game last night. And it couldn't be any different. Uh, you know, Dino's big thing was belief without evidence, which I guess kind of was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Um, but with Fran Brown, he's also preaching a lot of things. But we're not sure how good this guy can actually coach because he's never you know, done game management before and, and things like that. So with all the goals he set, how realistic do you think those are to be accomplished? I mean, I will always when when Syracuse football tells me that they're going to win a championship, like I will always be skeptical of that. Like we have seen nothing over the past two decades to make uh, Outside of 2018, you know, right? They would have been in a championship game in, in 2018, um, the 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 Dungy year. Um, but still, like, Clemson was clearly, like, better, uh, right? Uh, you know, I will always be skeptical of when Syracuse football tells me the goal is a championship, as long as Florida State and Clemson and North Carolina exist in the same league. If they go somewhere else, you know, maybe – we're talking about a more realistic uh, possibility here. Um, but I, I do think like Syracuse, I do think there is a place for Syracuse football to improve, right? Uh, Rutgers has picked up six four-star recruits from New Jersey over the past four years. Syracuse had none. Like this, like there's no reason that Rutgers should be getting those guys over Syracuse. Like you can win at Syracuse. There is more history at Syracuse. Fans care more at Syracuse. So if you have a recruiter that can get you those guys, like those guys should be at Syracuse. Now, I don't know if that, right. Do, do six, four stars, like make you better than Florida state or, or, or better than Clemson. Like, no. Right. Um, but they get you closer uh, and, and they give you a better football team. Um, so, I, you know, Championship, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, and every coach sort of has to say it, right? Uh, uh, you saw um, Indiana's new coach, Kurt Signetti, like t like bashing Ohio State and Michigan. And it's like, all right, okay, calm, 
calm down. Uh, but but I think there is an opportunity for Fran to make the program um, a lot better and, and, you know, get Syracuse into like sort of that top half of the ACC. Like to me, that is it. That is a that is a pretty reasonable and, and doable goal. And I think most people here would be pretty happy with it. One thing that uh, Fran Brown uh, did to make the program better was hiring Elijah Robinson as his defensive coordinator. And as he mentioned in the press conference, not directly, but he said it cost a pretty penny and they had to invest in it. And it came up right around when you were going to ask a question, or I think right after you asked the question, you asked about the financials. Were you nervous about doing the polar plunge? Were you thinking that they were going to finally give you some financial details on the contracts of uh, Fran Brown and Elijah Robinson? You know, uh, as a policy, I think Syracuse doesn't. So uh, as much as they would probably love to see me like freezing cold, uh, I don't think they're going to break their school policy and uh, set that precedent. So I felt pretty good that I wasn't going to be uh, jumping in a lake. But uh, there was part of me that wondered, like, would they do this like just out of out of spite? But uh, sadly, I'm not that important uh, to anybody uh, <laughs> that, that would change anybody's opinion. Another interesting thing I thought was is kind of it felt like Brown came out of nowhere to get this job and the initial list of candidates, you know, it was Bob Chesney at Holy cross. It was Jason candle at Toledo, you know, Kurt Signetti, who you mentioned was, was listed as someone who could potentially be interested in, and a whole you know plethora of other people. Why do you think Brown was able to win over, you know, John Wildtack, Kent Sivero, the board to, to get this job and get his name on the radar? You know, I, I think, I think the reason he probably wasn't on boards is, is is right is is there is generally a pattern when you hire a head coach and that head coach usually is the coordinator first and Fran you know said by his choosing he skipped that step he said I didn't want to be a coordinator I wanted I didn't want to focus on one side of the ball I wanted to recruit for all positions so and touch the whole team um so I you know I think he has a very good reputation as a coach but that's such an atypical track record that nobody saw him as a, you know, as a candidate, just because that's not usually how it goes. And, you know, a lot of times when we're making those lists, I made one, it's like, okay, who follows the pattern of how it usually goes? And it's usually right. It's usually the top coordinators in the country. And it's usually the, the group of five coaches that are performing at a really high level. And for a power five school, that's your list of candidates. Um, so Fran kind of comes off the board not because he's not a good coach, but just he doesn't check the usual pattern. Um, and I think for Syracuse, maybe that's a good thing. Like Syracuse has followed the usual pattern. Like Dino Babers was one of the best coaches in the MAC. Like just like Jason Candle, just like Dave Clawson, just like Dave Doran. Like doesn't mean you're a bad coach, but like Syracuse followed that pattern and, you know, it didn't work. Uh, Greg Robinson was was one of the better you know, assistant coaches in the country uh, when Syracuse hired him. And like, he was a disaster, uh, right? So Fran came in with this idea, I suspect, you know, that we're going to dominate recruiting in the Northeast. I'm the man to get that done. And, and that more than anything else is the best way to inject energy into Syracuse football right now your, your problem is not that you haven't had good coaches your problem is that you haven't had good players uh and you haven't had a depth of those good players and nobody can bring you that like fran brown can and, and i suspect that's the pitch and like it, it is easy to see that right that that makes sense i'm not saying it'll work but like that is a sensible logical way to think about this Right. And the the thing I keep coming back to, like, is he ready for all of these different things? He talked about the way they're going to practice nutrition, lifting and NIL and all of these different things. So I guess, you know, when you hear the pitch and, and this kind of goes back to, you know, the the actions, you know, speak louder than words thing. Is he ready for for doing all of these things despite never being a coordinator like you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, uh, we're going to find out, right? I I, I, I don't know. He, he has a great reputation. Um, the fact that he was at Georgia and like saw how it was supposed, saw how it's supposed to be done. You know, Matt Rule is a coach that has had success multiple places, NFL excluded, but at the college level, you know, he is a guy that is, you know, knows how to, a program is supposed to look. Um, so I think it is helpful to Syracuse to be bringing in a guy who knows how a power five program is supposed to 
like operate a top level power five is supposed to operate the the one thing that i worry about or or that i'm most interested in seeing is you know elijah robinson is similar in that he has never really been a defensive coordinator so so you have hired a head coach who has no head coaching experience and you have a defensive coordinator who hasn't run a defense at least according to his resume um and the the offensive coordinator candidate that we're hearing about the most has is an NFL veteran of a long time, but has only been a coordinator for a handful of years out of that time. So that is a lot of people that don't have a long track record of doing the job that they're going to be doing well. It doesn't mean they can't. They're going to be given an opportunity. Nobody has done it until they do it. But like, He's Syracuse is taking a bet on Fran and then Fran is taking a bet on a number of his assistant coaches. Um, so it, I don't know. I, I just, I have no idea if it's going to work. I think it's going to be really interesting. And I just think those details will be really like interesting to follow. Something that Ethan and I were talking about is that the, in the it's historically in the John Wildhack era, especially in other sports like lacrosse and basketball, they hire um, the alums that are kind of, you know, safe hires, um, to hire back. And then Fran Brown's kind of this risky one. Um, something that struck me on terms of how he wasn't a coordinator. He talked about how he sat next to Kirby smart for two years and he has a whole, you know, section in his notepad of Kirby smart notes, which, you know, we'll see how much he can take of that and put it into the game. Speaking of his staff, um, Obviously, Elijah Robinson hasn't necessarily called the defense yet. Nick Williams, another great recruiter coming over as the D-line coach. Um, Nunzio Campanelli staying on. We're not sure of his role necessarily yet. What is your opinions or what are your kind of your, your takes on his staff overall as coaches and recruiters kind of so far, including maybe the, you know, the theorized offensive coordinator, but not confirmed yet? I mean, they – they all have tremendous reputations like in the industry, like Texas A&M fans were furious when they lost um, Elijah Robinson. Um, Nick, I heard this. I heard the exact same. I heard from, I, I heard from people yesterday that Elijah, like they are upset. Elijah Robinson is leaving. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Nick Williams, people were upset that Nick Williams and like that, that is a good sign. Like that's a really good sign when the previous program is not like, Woo, thanks for like getting uh, getting rid of that problem for us. But like, oh no, like how are we going to operate without those guys? Um, so I, I guess I'd say cautiously optimistic. Like I, I think they all show the signs that that would make you think that they can do the job. They can do the job, and they are elite recruiters. And you know, Syracuse might have like moneyballed this staff you know, where you're not paying a proven coordinator salary to get the proven coordinator and an ace recruiter, because I don't know how much that would cost you, right? You, you just paid for the ace recruiter and gave him a chance to develop into the coach. And if that all like aligns, right, that is really cool. Um, but there's no way for any of us to know if it's going to align, even Fran, like Fran has the best Right. Fran knows them better than anybody else. He has the best. He has had the most in-depth conversations with them to judge what they can do. But even he can't judge whether they can do the job completely because they just haven't done it. We've talked about money a lot. And, you know, it's I guess it's interesting is Elijah Robinson was making what over a million dollars to be the defensive line coach at Texas A&M, which means if he's going to be a coordinator, he's going to be being paid more probably than he was at Texas oh. A&M. And we we just saw Tony White leave to take a you know sit not take a a promotion just a raise and is now one of the highest paid coordinators in the country at Nebraska. So why do you think now is the time that that John Wildtack and you know whoever else is making these financial decisions is willing to go I guess semi all in for Fran Brown to pay for these big time coaches? So uh, if I had to guess, and this is a guess, it is not knowledge, right? Uh, I think Fran Brown probably does not cost as much as Dino Babers like walking in the door. He is a guy who did not have head coach experience. Um, Syracuse is sort of giving him his shot to like make it big time. So I don't know if he walks in the door making $4 million. Um, so 
you might get a little bit money back from Dino that you can then invest into the staff and you can sort of elevate um, those guys a little bit more. Um, I also think that uh, John Wildhack has uh, sort of recognized that, that disconnect with previous alumni um, and those guys, a lot of them have expressed a need for a Northeast like mindset. Like they have wanted a Northeast coach, um, someone who owns the Northeast, who can make them a power in the Northeast again, um, who connects with like the Syracuse mindset. So I, I also think that by making it work for Fran, they are bringing a lot of those alumni back into the fold. So, so again, like you're also bringing in money, right? You, you are incentivizing those people to participate in the program financially. So you're in a better place to be shelling out money. Um, you have to, right? You have to make money to spend money. That's the opposite of what it's, that's the opposite of what, of, of how it goes. Um, but if your alumni are happy and they're donating and they're contributing to the program, then that does give you more money to spend on assistant coaches. Um, I think that's part of it. And, and right. I mean, we are in a realignment time where like the fate of Syracuse's athletic programs are potentially being decided over the next like five or 10 years. Um, I hope the Syracuse administration understands that and like recognizes like we need to be spending on this to secure the long-term future of Syracuse athletics and like make sure we're positioned um, as well as we can be when the ACC breaks down, uh, if the Big 12 breaks down, you know, whatever happens there, like Syracuse wants to be in the best position possible going into that. And that is a long-term investment that you know you need to make your investments now um and it'll pay off for hopefully the you know next hundred years the investing on Fran Brown's hoping that he has more success than Dino Babers did in his eight years getting that consistency that was really lacking in the Dino Babers era so looking at the two coaches um on the roster and kind of what they're going to bring Fran hasn't necessarily hinted at what you know specific type of defense he said they were going to run the ball on offense and then he said we're going to run whatever they can't stop so nothing specific necessarily on that side but how are the rosters and kind of the way that they're going to practice and play going to look different from um in the Dino Babers era yeah I mean the one thing that he said that the one real detail that he did sort of give on how practices would look was like he's going to practice in pads four days a week um, which is certainly different than Dino and like does make you raise your eyebrows when depth has been an issue, right? It's like, oh yeah, the school with no depth is going to practice in pads like four days a week. That, that sounds like a great, great, great way to get to the end of the season. Um, so that, that will be very interesting to see. Um, I presume his thought is like, I'm going to bring in more depth, right? So like we can, we can do that, uh, without, losing key players in, in practice. Um, you know, from the limited hints he gave, like it makes me think that he's going to run sort of like a, a sort of a balanced NFL style, like offense where, where he can sort of try to take what the defense gives him versus like, you know, right. Just if the defense can't stop the run, I'm going to run. If, if, if they have to gear up to stop the run, I'm going to try to be able to pass the ball. Um, I think, you know, you don't want to say he's going to try to beat Georgia at Syracuse because that would be very lofty, but like, right. That's how the, that's how the best teams in the sec do it. Um, you know, I, I suspect that will be his approach on offense and then defense. I, you know, I would think they'd go four, three here. Um, it's just really hard to like recruit nose tackles to Syracuse that can like anchor a three, four. Um, but maybe Fran thinks he can get one. So, uh, you know, uh, that would be something. Um, and it will be very interesting, especially on the, well, really both sides of the ball, right? The three, three, five, I was thinking about this last night. How does Justin Barron fit into like a more traditional defense? Like he is really good at that Rover spot, but like, he's not really a safety and he's not really a linebacker. So like, what does that mean for a guy like him? Um, you know, the, the offensive line certainly needs a lot of work. Um, and you need an offensive line to attract a quarterback. So like, how is he going to be able to attract a quarterback out of the portal? Um, Cause you, you guys see like, there are so many quarterbacks in the portal um, and Syracuse is going to get one of them, but like, 
that quarterback's going to want to know like he's going to make it through the season. Uh, so you, it feels like maybe you need the offensive lineman first because you lose Bleich. Um, none of the other guys were great. Um, you know, so the, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of work to do. He has a lot of work to do with the roster. Uh, I think you saw the early recruits that decommitted. Like that is part of that, right? I, I think those were Jersey kids. Those are Jersey kids he knows. Um, and I suspect he was like, "You guys aren't good enough to play for me at Syracuse, and I need to find better players." Um, you know, uh, which I think is a good sign. Like that's a, you know, he's aiming. He's setting the bar a little bit higher. That leads me right to to where I was going next is. How much is this roster going to be like a Deion Sanders at Colorado where you're where you're turning over all of Dino's players and recruits? It doesn't seem that way at the start. The only really notable player that entered the portal was was Leon Lowry, who I don't know what's going on with him. The, the commitment to Wisconsin, the decommitment, some some very cryptic tweets he's putting out there. Uh, not sure exactly what's going on there. What do you think this roster turnover is going to be like? They will bring in a quarterback. I don't think that's a secret to anyone, uh, especially after watching the way Carlos Del Rio Wilson has played over the last two years. But in terms of the full roster turnover, turnover, how much do you think you know there will be going into next year? You know, I think he's got, from the sounds of it, it's, you know, he did not seem enthralled with using the portal too much right he 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 said i believe in building through high school recruits um a lot of times when you're in the portal you're importing like somebody else's problem um to your program um i think that's also where like the nil money like matters like the numbers get a little bit bigger because you're like paying for like proven products or you know, guys that are that are trying to make sure that they get a payday before they leave college. Um, and I don't know if Syracuse is as much as people have sort of stepped forward, and we've heard they they have um, since Fran has been hired. Like, I don't know if Syracuse wants to get into bidding wars with like transfers with like big time programs. Like, I don't know if they're like equipped to do that right now. Um, so I, I think I think it's going to be strategic, right? I think he he probably knows he needs a couple offensive linemen. Um, I suspect he probably thinks he needs uh, some defensive linemen if he's going to go to a, a four three um, because they've been running the three three five. Um, but I don't think we're going to see like a Deion Sanders like I'm running off my entire team and bringing in like forty new guys. Uh, I don't get the. I share your impression. It doesn't sound like that's the way he wants to go. It doesn't sound like that at all. And you know, from what I've heard from the players, it seems like most of the current guys seem to you know. Oh, this 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 Fran Brown guy, I, I like what he's saying. Uh, I, I'm gonna you know try and buy into to this program because I came to Syracuse for a reason, and I want to you know stay. I like it here at Syracuse. So I'm gonna stay at Syracuse. Uh, going back to Wild Tech in the press conference after he fired Dino, he said he didn't think this would be a teardown or or a re, or they would have to you know bottom out and rebuild. Do you agree with that? That they can you know stay kind of you know. Maybe, you know, you dip down a little bit next year, but you don't have to go all the way down to, you know, like a two or three win season. Yeah, I think, you know, it's I think it depends on who Fran brings in through a portal, like, right. Show me who the quarterback is and I'll tell you if I think it's going to be probably a, a complete teardown um, or not. But right, like it. Like if Marlo stays, like Marlo's a really good player. Um, and, and Justin Barron, uh, I don't know how he fits into that defense, but like we've seen him be a good player. Uh, LaQuint Allen is great. Like, like he is great. He runs the ball so hard for somebody with his, his frame. Um, you know, Dan Villari, like, I don't know how Fran will use him, but like he's shown that he can like do things, uh, you know, football player. Um, the wide receivers need work, I think. Um, the offensive line needs work. The quarterback needs work. The defense was pretty good um, last year, although the defensive backs need to be overhauled. But, you know, there's no reason they couldn't have beat Boston College. They probably should have, right? They did beat Wake Forest. They beat Pittsburgh. Um, they have a really easy schedule. They got a very easy schedule next year um, in terms of, like, racking up wins. So I think they are talented enough that they can, like, either stay steady or, or take a step forward in, in terms of record, you know, and, and then the talent has to build, but like record wise, I think it can look better next year. 
Right. They don't play what Florida State or Clemson next year. Or UMC. I'm pretty yeah. sure too. Yeah. So it, it, Miami's it, the tough one. Miami's the tough one. And you never know what like I, they're just so they're up and down. They also and play Cal. Yeah. <laughs> and Stanford. Well, Justin Lance will come back to the dome, but right. Stanford your, wasn't a, a great team last year either. And instead year. of playing Purdue, you're playing UConn this year, which is yeah. another <laughs> another difference. Your non conference so soft. Your non conference schedule is so soft. And then it's the complete opposite the next year in year two. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess good thing they got Fran Brown a year before that 2025 schedule when uh, he'll make his return to the state of Georgia to play a uh, Tennessee opening weekend. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Where, uh, where can people find and, and read your work? Yeah. Uh, like you guys said earlier, Syracuse.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter at uh, C Carlson on SU. Uh, and I try to be pretty Twitter X it's X now. Um, I, but I'm, I try to be, I'm still pretty active there. So find me there. And, and thank you guys so much for having me on. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, lots of insights, and it'll be really interesting to see how uh, things go for, for Fran Brown over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. Yeah, well, plenty to talk about over the next year for sure. Thanks so much to Chris again for his time, and thank you to Empire Hearing and Audiology for, for their continued support of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Shifting things back to basketball couple big tests away from home for Syracuse over the next couple of weekends. First, a trip to the nation's capital to take on Georgetown on Saturday. And as always, WAER will have full coverage of that game. Jordan will be there. Before we get to that, I want to talk about Georgetown a little bit. Uh, growing up in a, a house where uh, your your father is an alum of Syracuse, you're, you're bred to, to not like Georgetown. Uh, and I can say that is true. Uh, despite the fact that these two teams have not been in the same conference for a decade now, they've still gotten to play almost every single year. And every time I enjoy it, it always still feels a little bit bigger than any other non-conference game, even though it totally doesn't have the same significance that it did, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago at this point. But I just love Syracuse Georgetown. It's, it's something that makes me very happy. And I'm excited to to get to watch it at home this weekend with my dad. And I'm excited about that. <laughs> well, I'm excited that you're excited, Ethan. I'll, I'll be that down there in person at the Capital One Arena, which will be very exciting. Um, speaking about the Georgetown team, you know, first year under Ed Cooley. Um, they're not like they haven't shown to be that good, but they're not that bad. It's like kind of in the middle. You know, I had that loss to Holy Cross, which you know, just, uh, you know, unacceptable, but you know, it happens. They lost by one, but they haven't beaten a power five team yet this year. So this is a game that, you know, Syracuse probably is going to be favored in should win. Um, that last time they went to Georgetown, they lost and they were in it, you know, they couldn't really get over the hump and they ended up losing. This is a game where, you know, we talk about at this point in the year, Mike Waters says he's not going to panic till new year's. This is a game if you want to make the NCAA tournament, you have to win on the road because no matter the fact that Georgetown doesn't have a power five win, they're going to be, you know, solid under Ed Cooley. So a road, a true road win is going to go a long ways towards the end of the season. I got a question for you, Hudson, before, yeah. before you jump in. Mm-hmm. Guess what Georgetown's adjusted defensive efficiency is on Ken Palm out of 360 school, 362 schools. It's got to be bottom it's got to be bottom 20. Okay, not that low. Oh. <laughs> not low. Well, I can tell you, Hudson, they uh, allow about 72.9 points per game. Okay. Quick math. We'll go. We'll go. They're definitely bottom 300, maybe. Say that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 310th out of 362 teams. Uh, their offense is 87th, so that's why they're 177th on Ken Palm. But if you're Syracuse, you know, maybe this is a game the offense gets going. I, yes, JJ Starling also, from deep. though. <laughs> yeah, wait, is, is JJ Starling coming back shooting three? Uh, <laughs> I, I will say it seems like Georgetown really plays to the level of their competition for the most part, too. I mean, Jordan, you mentioned. They don't have a power five win in their two power five games. They lost to Rutgers by 11, but in their last game, December 2nd, they lost to TCU by one point, you know, TCU, I believe right now is undefeated. So having a one point loss to TCU, not bad, but 
losses to Holy Cross by one point. They beat Mount St. Mary's by 11. That's tied for their highest point differential in a game. And then it's a bunch of single-digit games. Five points yeah, over America, seven over they, Jackson State. They shouldn't have beat Merrimack. That was, there was a controversial yeah. technical called at the end of that game. They got lucky to beat Merrimack. Yeah, I mean, they beat them 69 to 67. This is a team that can compete with the Power 5 schools up at the top on the box score but they can also get dragged down by some of these smaller teams. So we'll see in a rivalry game if they come ready to play and they do play to the level of the competition again. This needs to be, though, Ethan, as you mentioned, 310th, you said. This needs to be a game where the offense does come alive. Right. Syracuse's last two wins or last three wins. Uh, did they score 80 points against Colgate? I don't yeah, think I think they so. did. It was pretty well, close if they did. I can definitively say in each of Syracuse's last three wins, Chaminade, LSU, and now Cornell. They, they scored reached... 79 against Colgate. Okay. So close. So in okay. In Syracuse's six wins this season, the least amount of points they scored was 79 against Colgate. So this is a team that wants to, that that can score the basketball against, you know, it's it's lesser opponents when it's taking advantage. You know, playing on the road is going to be a big factor. We saw how Syracuse handled a a true road environment against Virginia last week, and that obviously did not go very well. So this is a a a, a test because I'm not sure how this team is going to play against a major conference opponent on on a true road environment. Yeah. Uh, I think they need to rebound from their first true road game against Virginia. Um they just got, you know, blown out of the gym in that sense in terms of the environment. You can't let the environment get loud. I don't know what Georgetown games sound like because it's at Capital One Arena. It's in an NBA arena. So that'll be interesting to see. I think in terms of, you know, every week we talk about takeaways. What have we learned about this team from the previous game or or, or what can we learn going into the next game? I think this game is more about the defense. Like, like you said, Georgetown, Georgetown's defense, not that good. Syracuse can score the basketball as they've shown when they when they win. And even when they lose, they're scoring at least 70 points pretty much every game except for Virginia. Georgetown has five different players that score double-figure points led by Jaden Epps, who scores almost 20. So I want to see the defense come out and get stops and really take control. We've seen it at times where they can get them back into games, like against Colgate or finish out games. Like you can say, Cornell, they kind of tightened up the defense towards the end. I want to see them come out and really enforce their will on the defensive side um, throughout the entire game against Georgetown. Yeah, it's a big game overall, stepping stone on both sides of the ball. They just really need to take it in stride. And this is a game where we talk about, oh, you can't really – you look at a game like Cornell or a game like LSU where maybe Cornell's quad two win, you know, impressive opponent. LSU, not as much, where you can't take a ton out of it at this point in the season, especially when you're not in ACC competition. And Georgetown, not that good of a team, especially there, but because it's a rivalry and it feels a little extra – People may want to take extra conclusions out of this game. I feel like already, though, unless it's a loss, if, if this is if this is a win and a comfortable win, I don't think if the defense looks any better or if the offense looks any better, that I'll really take anything out of this game moving forward because. Yeah, uh, this should be a win. This needs to be a win. Um, for Syracuse to have have postseason aspirations that aren't, you know, the NIT or worse. Uh, guys, any final thoughts before we close up shop? No, it's going to be an exciting couple of weeks now with the bowl game coming up, going down to Boca, um, and then, you know, the finishing up of non-conference play. Like like Hudson said, it's kind of hard, depending on the games, um, to take stuff um, and really kind of think about what Syracuse is going to look at the end of the season, which is always the ultimate goal. So I'm ready for conference play. A lot of travel to be done by this group for Syracuse Athletics over the next few weeks. Jordan, heading to D.C. this weekend. I'm headed to Sioux Falls for the Oregon game next weekend. And then Jordan will probably be at the bowl game in his you know, home state of, of Florida. He's a Florida man. Uh, and, oh, and he'll yeah. Be enjoying his time uh, in you know sunny, maybe rainy Boca uh, at the Boca Raton Bowl. The, Hopefully uh, not rainy for long. Uh, one of the better bowl names, the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. It was I, actually I, so they changed the name a couple of years ago. I can't remember what it was. I'll look it. I'll look it up while you talk. Um, but that was a great game. I am nervous though, because 
think it was either last year's game or the year before that. It was an absolute downpour the entire game when I watched it on TV. So I'm really hoping it's not that and it's a you know a slog fest because that would just be kind of ugly, um, especially for a bowl game where it's Syracuse USF. But you know, right, I'm, I got, I'm hoping the, for I got the sponsor. It was Mar. Originally, it was Marmot the the clothing uh, company, um, mm. and then it was Sherabundi, the uh, the beverage the beverage company. Uh, was the share Bundy book of the share Bundy book of Raton Bowl? Um, I don't know what's better, that or the bad boy mowers pinstripe. Oh, bowl. bad boy, <laughs> the bad mowers, boy mowers. I uh, anything mowers. with dot com in the name as a bowl game is kind of sick. That honestly, I don't having a do- domain name, even though it is a company, having a domain name as a bowl game. I don't know. It, it this is not to put shame on the book or tone bowl. It always sounds like you're like, shaming on the book or tone, yeah. Bowl. <laughs> I'm not shaming on the Boca Raton Bowl. I'm Actually, I have a question for you guys real sure, quick. Sure, sure. Pop-Tarts Bowl has an edible mascot this year. Would you take a bite out of the Pop-Tart? It depends what flavor. Okay. Yeah. No, I, don't, I don't like Say chocolate. Say your favorite. So I, yeah, you know, what about I don't like cinnamon chocolate. Ra- what about the cinnamon sugar no. one? No. Yes. Uh, yes. I actually... I don't think Jordan I would. Knows. If there's someone in it, then they're going to be sweating the whole. Like, no, I wouldn't. If you get no. the outside of it, though, get the outside where. What they if it's raining? Sweat or like what? Thing. What if it's raining? You're like, what if a, ra- a rowdy fan throws a beer can at the Pop Tart mascot or something? I think you know? I think Ethan's just declining fun right now. I, I do worry for that mascot, though. If a, a defense gets an interception, you know how they all run down to the end zone? If the mascot's there, they're going <laughs> to take pieces of him. I'm, I'm worried. I'm good. worried for our big Pop-Tart here. Who's playing the Pop-Tarts Bowl? NC State, right, is playing the Pop-Tarts Bowl? I think so. I want to say, I think Dave Doran said he would take a bite out of it if they won. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Bowl season is here, it's a, and it's an exciting time in college football, and, and as college basketball heats up, it's a great time to be watching sports, especially at the college level. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've got full coverage this weekend, starting with sports night on Friday from 8 to 9 p.m. on WAER, and then game coverage beginning at 11 a.m. Saturday, tip off at 1130, and the double overtime runs until 3.30 after the game where you can hear Jordan break down everything from Washington, D.C. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at Ostrom Avenue Podcast, along with our parent accounts at WAER Sports at WAER Sports Talk and check us out on YouTube as well at Ostrom Avenue Pod. All right, that will do it for this edition of the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. Thank you very much to Chris again for his time and thank you to Empire Hearing and Audiology for their continued support of the show. We'll be back next week with more takes, more analysis, and hopefully not as big of an argument over Syracuse's outside shooting. So thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Hey,